0: What's up, and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture, even though it's kind of scratched to a halt recently. Uh, My name is Pat Sheehan, with my co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, how you surviving in the Bean Town? Uh, You know, uh,
1: gotta stay indoors, not shelter in place. I don't know. We're supposed to stay inside. Nothing's open anyway. Why do you want to go outside? Yeah, we we out here, man. Corona crew back at it again with the white vans. Here we are.
0: Yeah, uh, New York, where I live, is on pause right now. Yep. Uh, so we're, we're we're pausing. I live in Westchester, though, and supposedly case the cases here have slowed down, hmm. which means that probably in like a week or two, we'll be good to go from everything I understand. <laughs> so uh, don't worry. This is almost over. Um, but, you know, it's not almost over nostalgia podcast so while you're mm-hmm. while you're here and listening if you want to keep hearing our sweet sweet dulcet tones in your earbuds uh hit that subscribe button if you're uh, on youtube and uh also go to uh, soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod yeah, that's to, it. Yeah. to listen to us any way you want to. <laughs> and a five-star rating review always appreciated on itunes um let's start quick corona check-in dave uh, do you still have hands? Mine—I've almost washed mine clean off at this point. Oh, yeah.
1: Uh, still here, thankfully. But you're right. We're uh, we're lacking layers at this time. Skin cells working, uh, OT. No doubt about that. Um, yeah, man. Uh, it seems like most of the cancellations we've kind of got at this point. Uh, now it seems all the movies through at least half of May have been canned. You know, the mm-hmm. Disney slash Fox stuff, including Black Widow, is now officially canceled and uh, Glastonbury I think was a notable one because that was a June event a mid late June event yeah. I think so that was a notable one it was their 50th anniversary too so that's uh, unfortunate um, yeah I just want to shout out though Al Al Forin, the impressionist guy who went viral with his impressions of De Niro Pacino and Pesci watching the Irishman for the first time during a quarantine and I think that shit's hilarious. So please watch that. That guy deserves the deserves the likes. Um, yeah, honestly, corona corona content in terms of like memes and stuff, pretty solid. You know, pretty pre- pretty good. I just wish there was, uh, you know, movies still. But here we are.
0: Well, uh, Dave, in terms of movies, you might be getting Wonder Woman to your streaming device of choice mm, near you. Maybe. at least wherever you can pay for it. Uh, at least there was a rumor this past week that Wonder Woman is being discussed as a potential yeah. video-on-demand release, uh, mostly because uh, looking at the calendar, as things start to hopefully wind down, people can go out in public safely again. Um, there's not a lot of great movie weekend dates where Wonder Woman could drop and kind of dominate the weekend yeah. solely. So it's it's been a discussion. Do you think... We'll be enjoying Wonder Woman 1984 from the comfort of our our homes anytime soon.
1: I do not know. If you read that rap piece, it kind of lays out that the economics of releasing Wonder Woman 1984 as some kind of high priced VOD option just doesn't really make sense for the size and scope and budget of a movie like Wonder Woman. And, like, I mean, their data point was comparing to how many uh, people bought the Mayweather McGregor fight, which costs $100. And they needed like twice, two and a half times as many people to buy that. And that would be like a lower price. It's just not a realistic thing in terms of, unless Warner Rose wants to just eat a ton of money, which again, what's the incentive of that? You can just delay it and then hopefully have a relatively successful launch later. Um, I'd imagine that August, maybe Marvel or uh, Disney will throw Black Widow or Mulan in August. You feel like something big will be in August, but there's, again, a lot of competition bond i guess smartly was placed around thanksgiving so that's another desirable one that's open so yeah i'm gonna say no on anything of that sort happening anytime soon but you know lesser stuff like onwards coming to disney plus um and i think two weeks again just you know it was was already out though so yeah i don't think anything that was really planned for a big release is going to be vod but i mean that that kumail and Issa Ray comedy Lovebirds Paramount decided you know what fuck it we'll let's just sell this to Netflix so we'll be getting that at some point on Netflix but again smaller movie Paramount can just take the check from Netflix and wipe their hands of it you know Wonder Woman it's not that simple
0: yeah I, I agree I don't think we're gonna be seeing Wonder Woman but it does reach a point especially because uh, as we're looking more and more at what the timeline of this potential like shut-in is going to be nationally? Uh, a lot of these movies are either going to have to go the route of uh, Fast and Furious or Fast Nine, as it's called, and say mm-hmm. we'll we'll try again next year, or right. they're yeah. going to have to accept that they're going to release on a weekend where it's probably stacked, and they're going to be not making the box office that they want. So it's maybe for some of them it will make some sense. You know, I, I brought this up to you off pod for smaller movies like an a24 movie that wouldn't necessarily have a huge box office hit but you know could drop gets a lot of attention because people are home bored looking for something new to watch something they can talk about um you know not even talking about how the Oscars is going to be impacted by all this at this point but um do, do you think it would make sense for a smaller movie like that whose budget is small and could possibly come close to making
1: yeah, uh, I mean, economically, you could make the case. I think in A24's instance, that's probably a no because A24 doesn't really care about uh, a big bunch, uh, you know, a, b- a big box office because they, you know, they're really smart and tactile with their marketing and whatnot, and they've always remained committed to theaters. So, you know, their their response to First Cow getting relaunched when the time is right, I think, kind of speaks to them probably not gonna. Like, we're not thinking Minari is going to suddenly become a VOD. Like, people are expecting that movie later in the year. We're still going to just get that. We'll just wait, you know? Um, you know, Neon, other, th- other other ones, you know, I'm, I don't know. But um, and the thing about A24, too, is like they had that deal with Apple. So I feel like if they did somehow decide to go this kind of stark change of direction for what they've done in the past, it'd probably be on Apple TV Plus where no one, no one would watch it anyway. So don't know about that one.
0: Yeah, it's it's tough. Uh you know, the the further we get into this, the more you realize that how Sean Parker's was it the the movie whatever the, it's uh, called. The st- the
1: screening room, I think. Yeah, the it, screening room that it,
0: it, it's never gonna replace the the movies in, in like a, a traditional box office r- return. It's just never not gonna yeah, be possible. So um anyways, why don't we move off Corona into something a little bit more enjoyable? <laughs> Sada baby. Uh that's great. Dropping Scuba Sada 2, uh which has gotten quite a bit of uh praise online and from critics. Um Dave, uh you you informed me to go back and listen to some of Sada stuff. Pretty good. Uh and I enjoyed it, but I was really impressed with uh Scuba Sada 2 because I, I just felt like he was incredibly dexterous. uh is that right? He showed a lot of dexterity, yeah, throughout, yeah, for sure. throughout this uh album there's a lot of different flow switch ups, mm-hmm. a lot of different beat sounds, and I thought the production on this was really, really interesting and unique um so i, I think there's a lot to dig into here. Were you as impressed as I was with this though
1: oh yeah i thought I thought this shit the shit the shit ripped man, only f- thirty one minutes but mm-hmm there's honestly like a lot to it and I think anyone who's like been up on Sada Baby the past two and a half years probably would expect that because it's kind of got that reputation but yeah I thought this in particular uh, just kind of really shown and even songs like uh, like like Slide which I think is a highlight uh, that's a little different than some of his other stuff too like I think he he kind of made a name for himself at Detroit as someone just with a, a lot of energy and like really witty punch lines and could kind of do anything he wanted on the mic and was kind of reminiscent of like mixtape Wayne 15 years ago and was getting that comp a lot. And I think that's cool because we don't really get that anymore. And Sada Baby in particular is interesting because he will release projects that aren't on Spotify and Apple Music still. And to a lot of people, those projects probably just don't even exist. They just don't know about them. Like he had a mixtape last year that was just on SoundCloud. He said uh, he had one drop on New Year's Day this year bralic that was just on dat piff and YouTube <laughs> like
0: that piff wow
1: now he uh he he, he he's going to the beat of his own drum but I think I think whatever you know you got to preserve that creative control whatever it is uh, I think it's working because he, he's just I think the energy is I think really unique it's cool
0: yeah uh you mentioned slide and uh, Slide was certainly a song that caught my attention, but I actually felt like the two songs after it, Scuba Roo into Bully Ball were two of my favorite on this album. And I think really highlighted uh, the his ability to craft songs in different ways that still sound phenomenal because Scuba Roo is this like really intense, fast paced, kind of like rapid rap song. And then it mm-hmm. really transitions well into Bully Ball, which is slower kind of this like thumping beat with these like low synths kind of throughout it and he's just kind of switches the flow up completely different pace of the song and both songs i just found myself like kind of moving my head just like instinctively to the the beat and i think kind of where i i think he excels is just uh i don't know if i would say i am totally totally impressed with uh what he's saying in his verses i think you know, it's it's fine. Like, there's nothing that blows me away. Like gangster uh, shit. Yeah, it, it, it's not like the uh, the weekend album or even the the Gambino album mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about in a second, where I think there's some really witty and, and creative and thoughtful things in there. But still, like these songs go, and he just brings the energy. Whether it's fast, slow, whatever, you feel it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, like I, I was. You know, reading a lot about the Detroit rap scene last year, there's a really good piece by Alphonse Pierre on Pitchfork from like last August about how it's like a really exciting scene that like no one really pays attention to. And I think Detroit rap, I mean, people know, obviously Eminem and Big Sean. And but like, honestly, other than that, it's, you know, a vibrant scene that doesn't really escape the Midwest that much. You know, if you think of Midwest rap, you think of Chicago, something that has a lot more star power associated with it. But. You know, I think now with T Grizzly, who um, Sada Baby has had some, I think, label issues with him. He used to be signed to T Grizzly, now he's off that and he's good. But T Grizzly and Sada Baby and TJX Six, you know, the face of scam rap. Like, I, th- I think Detroit's starting to, to make some noise. And Sada Baby, I think, it just overall, it's just incredibly underrated, under to guy. Because again, even if it's not like as you said, it's not the most lyrical shit in the world. He's presenting it. In a way that no one else really is doing, and that is certainly, I think, good enough to, for you know price for admission. So, yeah, big fan of him. And honestly, like the, the breakout for me when I first heard of him was a uh, back in 2018, his song "Blocks Party," and he just has like one of the best NBA bars ever. Um, I ain't got no time for an arguments. Big ass shotgun, look like Laurie Markinen. Like he's making a Laurie Markinen reference in rap, like you know a, a non-famous non-star like fuck yeah hell yeah yeah sada baby listen to this guy
0: definitely check it out we'll be adding a song or two to our nostalgia best of 2020 playlist um donald glover dave presents presents uh (laughs) kind of crazy so um last weekend we were gonna talk about donald glover he Dropped these songs on a website he created called DonGloverPresents.com. And they were kind of just playing, it was that, on loop or like a video. Yeah, Um, on loop. And people could listen, make comments. People thought that the ability to make comments was maybe people trying to come up with names for the the albums uh, or the the, the title tracks, I I should say. And uh, then it just kind of got taken down after less than 24 hours. And we were like, okay, this drop is coming didn't come last weekend and then you know with with most things uh childish gambino or i guess now donald glover you never really know like how are we going to be getting this we might never hear this these these songs again no one knew and then here it comes three fifteen twenty, uh
1: which is just the date of that stream
0: <laughs> yeah and every every track is except for two which are Adler algorithm and time are just the the time on the the Album that these songs start, right. so twelve minutes thirty eight seconds in, that song is called Twelve Period Three Eight. <laughs> you know, just
1: and and simple. time was the name people kind of made up for the song with Ariana Grande when they heard it on stream, and I guess Donald's like, all right, cool, I'll call this one time, like, yeah. Or maybe that was his plan all along. Again, we have
0: no idea. And you know, uh, I think it feels very Don Glover, very experimental yeah. and yeah. artistic, non traditional. Um, is this album good though? Uh,
1: i don't know i like a lot of it but it's like really all over the place
0: yeah
1: and time's messy and i think this is the continuation of dg's evolution as a musical artist away from just kind of being someone who's got corny Bars for the white kids, and now he's kind of evolved, and obviously, "Awaken My Love" was that full transition. I think "Awaken My Love" is much more focused. I think that's pretty obvious. But like, you know, three, fifteen, twenty, uh, this one definitely kind of jumps around, sounds a lot more, and that's cool. But I don't know if like it really comes together as like a full project. I think it can be kind of jarring. Like I, I didn't listen to that stream before it was taken down, but I think. Because I think his lyrical message, his content about like, you know, observations around the world and things, I don't know if he gets too deep with that and you combine that again with like the sound jumping around. So I don't know if like it fully lives up to its um I don't know, grand grand ambition. Then again though, Don really didn't hype this up at all. He just kinda just threw it out there. Like he didn't even care to come up with song names or give it an album cover, you know? So yeah. I guess in that sense, expectation should be lowered. I don't know. Um, It's kind of weird though. That feels like summer is also on this with a different name, a song from 2018 that was already Grammy nominated. Like, yeah. So I I like parts of it, but there's other stuff he does that I honestly like when it's more like feels like summer. I'm kind of, kind of not with it, but like when it's more funky, like Awaken my love I'm definitely into it.
0: Yeah. And it feels like the majority, majority of these songs are similar to what you hear on Awaken my love, like, Especially like the middle run basically from time through I don't know thirty two point uh period twenty two hate these um, names. <laughs> I know me too it's hard just to talk about them yeah, uh, but th- it's like that
1: uh, untitled unmastered with with Hendrick yeah. you know it's like it's just it's hard to remember what what's what
0: that's actually an interesting comparison um I think I, I think that actually highlights the difference between those two artists and kind of where they're at. It's like Kendrick is this master who has these unfinished things and puts them out and people are like, holy fucking shit, these songs yeah. are Untitled and, Seven fine. and and unique. And then Donald Glover, Donald Glover puts these out and you're like, oh, that one sounds pretty good. And then you're like, mm, well, what, what's, what's going on here? Like mm-hmm. uh, there's, there's that was an algorithm, I think. Very yeah. like Nine Inch Nails sounding production on sure. that. Yeah. Dark. Yeah. Hard drums, uh, just like very like, I don't know, it, it feels chilly in a lot of ways, which doesn't feel like a lot of the rest of the album, because then you even go into time, which feels almost very 80s. You know, you have this piano at the end, which transitions mm-hmm. nicely into the next song. It's very the next song is very funky and sparse. Uh, you have 21 Savage just kind of gliding in and providing this really fun, upbeat, almost like it sounds like he's like bouncing on the beat yeah. uh, in his verse. And then you transition into the next song, which is also very fun, great hook, R and B almost sounding um, on uh, nineteen to around uh, yeah. twenty four nineteen. Like, there's a lot of really really fun stuff on here. But then it kind of stinks back into that weird instrumental at thirty two twenty two, and you're like, what is yeah. happening? To this song? That was
1: almost like Black Skinhead inspired, you know? It's mm-hmm. like Donald took the wrong lessons from Jesus for that, and it's just there's kind of like a lot of like weird ideas, you know? Yeah. But like you said, like nineteen ten. That's more of like the uh, almost like more of an old school uh, Gambino song that you think could have fit on something like because the internet, mm-hmm. you know, that's almost like uh, reminds yeah. you of like the sound of like Three Thousand Five or mm-hmm. Telegraph Ave or something like that. But yeah, it's it's experimental and that's cool. Again, I think that's cool. I've appreciated the evolution of Don as an artist, but you know, like This Is America, which won won the big Grammy. What number one? That was, I think, a song that was at its best in its video form. Like I, I didn't even have that on my top ten list. Cause I think it's just a song It's almost a little lacking. And I find that a lot of times when he tries to get more uh, conscious as a rapper, it's not that strong. And that's that's okay though. Like I appreciate the uh, I still appreciate the social commentary. I'd rather hear you try it than not do it at all. But um, if that's what you want to do, but yeah, ultimately I'm just going to default to songs. I just enjoy listening to more. Like you said, 1238 where I think Donald's really fun on that with like a really good flow and stuff. And then perfectly complimented by 21 who, as you said, really, really rides in well, you know, I ain't tripping man. I'm Lamborghini weapon, you know, just classic 21 on, on the heater, heater run that he's on. So hmm. yeah, it's a, it's weird, man. That That's kind of my overall takeaway. I wonder You know, we know a few years ago, post-Awaken My Love, Donald re-upped with RCA Records after he had previously talked about retiring the Childish Gambino name. I wonder if he's maybe just trying to finish up that RCA deal. Hmm. We don't don't really know the terms of that. I wonder if he's like, you know, let me just get get some projects out here now that I can do what I want. But I think it's in, I mean, you saw it, you know, Spotify and Apple Music. This is under Childish Gambino. Um just because that's, that's that's a baked in brand for him. So I feel like as long nice. as he's releasing music, it'll still probably be under this name. And I think people are more and more starting to associate that with his actually like more good music of late as opposed to his, uh, you know, various upbringings as an internet rapper. So, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, I like all the things with Donna Glover, uh, multitudes.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's so interesting because I feel like what he's able to say in Atlanta and bring through that. And then where he kind of falls short with his music in terms of like really bringing a poignant message to the forefront. I'm not sure where the disconnect is there. Maybe it's the, the collaborators he has yeah, in big Atlanta, you know? Um, I didn't look at the, the production credits on this much, but what I, what I did see was he pretty much produced everything and yeah. was in control. Of- yeah,
1: of Louis yeah. Goranson's back again. You yeah. Know, who Louis probably, I think, gotten. Mm-hmm became mainstream for his early work with Donald too. So that makes sense. Yeah. But I, I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, again, every time Donald does anything, I'm like Atlanta, still the best thing Donald Glover's ever done. Please watch that. If you haven't on Hulu now, you know, yeah, and um, you
0: have nothing else to do right now. So go watch it. Please <laughs> do that. Yeah. Um, but you know, other
1: times uh, it's a bit like, like think of a uh, Guava Island. Remember that on Amazon? Mm, yeah. Uh, okay. Right. Not Fine. everything he does hits. It's it, that's okay. Mm. And it's weird. Like, he's kind of like... He, I, I, listening to this, though, you know, hearing that thing where I remembered, you know, we knew he was a dad a few years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I believe Legend. he's talking. I believe he's talking to Legend on this. I'm He guess. is. Legend yeah. is
0: credited. Oh, he is. Oh, I didn't see that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So I wonder if Down's going to become almost like more reclusive than he already is.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, I don't know. That was kind of a thought I had if he's kind of, kind of recede back. Because he's kind of like, talked and, like, there was a really extensive profile when Atlanta season two happened. I think it was with GQ or the New Yorker or something. And he talked about how he kind of, like, struggles to grapple with, like, the large standards people put on him. And Hmm. he's always kind of, like, straddled the line in terms of, like, black culture and white culture and stuff. I'm just curious, like, what is the next, like, 5, 10 years for him? Like, we already know Atlanta got renewed for two seasons, but Atlanta season three, we don't even know if that's, like, in too much of pre-pro, let alone the delays that is going to happen from coronavirus, so it just seems like Down just beat goes to the beat of his own drum, and uh, you know it's a uh, it, it it's fun 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 to check in when he does stuff like this. So
0: he'll uh, he'll come out of re- his uh, reclusive state when that Lando Calrissian solo movie. <laughs> uh, I did it. love his Lando, I must say. Yeah, well, it was pretty good. Um, well, one last thing I wanted to say: the closing track on this uh definitely a bit jarring 49? uh fifty three, forty nine is what yeah, I had whatever uh yeah. yeah that song goes hard and yeah, it does I think yeah. I think that is like when Donald Glover is able to like hone everything and really like bring his creative side and like his energy into a way that is very succinct and like chaotic in the best way possible um but this album also has I think the times when he does that to the it, the worst possible degree for him too, or maybe not the worst, but at least a, a very a, <laughs> there's highs and lows and peaks yeah. and valleys in this. So um, I ultimately, know, I'm just of-
1: I'm just very curious to see like if we can he- learn more about the process of making this. Like, how seriously take this? Is this just a throwaway of sorts, like an untitled unmastered, or did he, you know, was he talking to Rick Rubin about stuff? Well, you know, we we don't know. So I'm just curious how seriously he took this drop because, again, the presentation yeah. makes you think maybe he didn't. And if these are, in fact, just throwaways, maybe they're not to Kendrick's standards, few things are, but it's still, still pretty really good, good for, for 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 low effort. So I guess we'll take it.
0: Something that's definitely not low effort, David. Oh. this new Weekend album, After Hours. I saw you tweeting about it. I know where you stand. Uh, and I stand with you. This is early contender for album of the year in my opinion. Um, fuck yeah.
1: Easily number 1 of the year so far.
0: As we've talked about the weekend uh on this podcast, you know, uh, Starboy was I think came out the year before we we started recording. Um, 16 for so, sure. Uh you know, we've talked about My Dear Melancholy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's come up as we've just talked about different artists, you know, and things he's yeah. appeared on. Uh the album recently. <laughs> yep. And you mentioned him uh and House of Balloons as mm. one of your albums of the decade, I believe. That's correct. Um, so we he's we we brought him up on the podcast, and where I think, uh, I don't know where you stand, a Starboy. I, I found it pretty unremarkable in a lot of ways. Just yeah, I was definitely higher it than you were. Yeah, and I I felt like it was him trying to, um, you know, create a more mainstream and poppy sound, more radio get more radio play, um, and not. It's really funny because he already had all
1: that off. Behind the Madness, you know, like Can't Feel My Face had already come out in a previous album, same thing with The Hills. Mm-hmm. But you're right, yeah, that was like a full like dive into like pop star first, R&B later, you yeah. know.
0: And then he kind of corrected back with My Dear Melancholy to like mm-hmm. that, uh, that darker gothy type yes. R&B weekend. Lights off music. After Hours feels just like the perfect blending of what he was trying to go with with Starboy and who he actually is as core as an artist, which is this dark goth, like, uh, painted all black, man. Like, that's that's who you are, but painted black with some glitter and some cocaine thrown in, and, like, you get this fucking amazing album. And Mm -hmm. I've listened to After Hours probably, like, five or six times um, since it dropped on Friday, and I'm probably going to listen to it five or six times more before we record next week. It's that good. Um, What did you like so much about it, though, Dave?
1: Yeah, I think yeah. So I obviously I'd agree. I think it's fantastic. the uh, The whole presentation of the album, the sequencing, is so pristine. The way the tracks are laid out, the way they flow into one another, both thematically and sonically, and you know, it just feels like uh, Abel is in full control, as you said, over who he is as an artist. And I, I, I think it's almost consensus already after three days that this is probably his best work ever. You know. Um, because it's kind of distillation of who he is and who what what he what his music should be about, and that I think that's just that's fucking great, you know. There's lots of really popular, really beloved artists that I don't think have ever achieved that kind of like pure like singularity of this is exactly what you want from them. So that that's great. But like at the end of the day, who is who is Abel Tesfaye? He, he's this hedonist, uh, masochistic at times guy that has a lot of shit going on in his life. And he's just going to fucking empty his heart out to you. Mm-hmm. And he does that, I think, expily on this. What's really cool about After Hours, and not that he hasn't done this before, but God, does this thing sound like you could listen to it in the 1980s. Yeah, like okay. Obviously, Blinding Lights, in particular, the second single off this, half a Billy streams on Spotify later. Uh, that's a song that easily could have fit right in. You know, thirty years ago. That's I mean, really that cool.
0: blinding lights is going to be the soundtrack to the next Stranger Things uh, season Oh sure. God! Wow. <laughs> I mean,
1: That's it funny. could be.
0: It's going to be an 80s yeah. song, but they, it sounds like a yeah, story. they're usually
1: period accurate. But yeah, you're right. You're definitely right. Um, and I actually saw a lot of people talking about how it almost feels like Abel took the themes of Uncut Gems, of which he plays a version of himself in, of course, mm-hmm. and he almost like ran with those themes and applied them to himself with this with this album which is not something i ever considered a possibility when i saw uncut gems i did love his part in it you know Mm -hmm. so hopefully julia fox shows up in one of his videos i think the the nice thing about this weekend album is it's we got a few big albums coming up but it feels like this album was rolled out exactly how he wanted still despite the ongoing coronavirus crisis so there's going to be more videos to come which is cool but um Yeah, man, honestly, this shit kind of just blew me away the first time I heard it. And there's other skips on this. I don't know if there are. And I never say that about stuff. It sounds fucking immaculate.
0: To be honest, um, I think the only time I found myself like skipping was just by the end. Like once it hits the uh, repeat after me interlude. Mm -hmm. After hours, the title track and until I bleed out, they're pretty good. But I just love these first couple of songs. I just want to go back to
1: them. That middle section's fucking great
0: dude basically from i, I mean I, I think honestly the first five songs are great but especially like uh scared to live snow child escape from la heartless and faith leading into blinding lights is just yeah. like an undeniable yeah. run of songs man <laughs> it's uh, it's it's pretty amazing and it it's so funny because um i think the song the album feels so uh, such like a, a collective and uh all the songs together create something much bigger but you can take any one of these songs and put them in another weekend album and you're just like holy shit that song fucking rocks yeah. um like you you think about um scared to live and when they Great. they pull in the uh elton john your song interpolation yes like what a fucking moment i like I, I heard it i was like wait is this really like i actually like stopped in my tracks listening to it it was unbelievable mm-hmm. um or then you get to uh, like faith, which the lead into faith, and then Ugh. oh my God, the whole buildup is uh, right amazing, just uh, can't really can't say enough good about this, and I was trying to think like, how did he really hone all this, and then I looked at the pr- the producer. Max Martin, dog. Makes so yeah. much sense. Like, he, he, yeah. Abel was basically just like, I need someone to help me take this shit to the next level. Let's just get the top yep. producer in the game. And Max Save Martin. Save your
1: tears in your eyes. Scared to live. All oh, Max Martin. Which I think is notable, too, because Scared to Live, that's a much more balladry song, a familiar type of song from The weekend. Yep. Think of uh, Call call Out My Name from My Dear Melancholy, which I think was the big hit from that. And as we said, you know, getting him back in the right direction. But then in your eyes, and even you save your tears, again very '80s, very synth heavy, very yeah. '80s like horn arrangements. So the fact that Max Martin, I, they, again, just showing his talent, uh, honestly, some of the best songs he's probably been involved with in a long time. Um, and yeah, shout out Faith, man. I think that's right now is my favorite song off the album. I've definitely listened to it the most mm-hmm. so far. The what is it? The uh, about halfway through verse two, where he's like, "But if I OD." I want you to OD right beside me. He like holds, hones the first OD note, like an extra beat longer. And like the beat like f- uh, peters out and the drums kick back in. The rest of the beat follows back. I've like listened to that part like 30 times. It's just like my favorite piece of production I've heard in some time. Uh, so yeah, I love Faith.
0: Yeah, the the beat on Faith is so like strobe-like. It really does feel like you're watching Uncut Gems. And that I think that that's one of the the pieces of this that I was most curious going into it right because he if you see the cover of the album but also the music videos he's released so far mm. he's like on like a cocaine fueled uh trip to Vegas And a lot of it and you know he's yeah, right. bleeding and bloodied and has a broken nose um, and it makes a lot of sense that he might have taken the energy from Unka Gems and just tried to channel that. And obviously, this is a, a breakup album too, and, and mm-hmm. an album about loneliness. Shout uh, out Bella. Yeah, referencing a lot of uh, his relationship with Bella Hadid throughout. Um, but there are just so many moments on here, like snowchild, I think this is one everybody's talking about. maybe it drops the line of the year, yeah. Uh, give her
1: future set future futuristic sex. sex Give her philip k philip dick k
0: dick fucking uh, fire <laughs> incredibly smart line um yeah, <laughs> I mean hardest to love is like incredibly like cool, like sounding, but also upbeat at the same time, not really sure how you mix that together um the the base um save your tears is i mean just like takes you for a walk the whole time the Mm -hmm. the production on this album is immaculate and you mix that with i think one of abel's best vocal and most it seems like most inspired and and uh i don't know soulful i guess almost like vocal performances they've had on an album and it just is it all came together and i think that's the thing that i'm like left with is it just feels like this all came together this is the weekend reaching whatever his potential was. or yeah, final form. Right. And it's just really exciting to listen to. Um Dave, I wanted to give one more shout out to a producer that we haven't talked about yet because Metro Boomin was on two of these tracks. Mm-hmm. Fucking Heartless, the beat that he came up with for that is like classic Metro.
1: Yeah. Biggest so Metro good. song in a minute too. Good luck for him. Also, Ke- uh, Kevin Parker. Uh, mm. Helped Penn repeat after me interlude. Ah. So he definitely, uh, definitely had had some had some friends. I think Frank Dukes is on one of these songs as well. A shit ton of talent involved. I think it was uh, notable that there's no big features. Yep. He, he did just today just drop a deluxe version of this. Where I actually actually like this idea where instead of just a bunch of extra bonus tracks that you cut for a reason and then put out later for streams, uh, these are all remixes of songs already on it chromatics remix of blinding lights, uh, as an example. So I think that's actually cool, cool way to do a deluxe. If you want to, you know, chase more streams now that the weekend really needs to chase any streams. This is projected to do, uh, 400,000 units, which depending on exactly how much it does, that might unseat BTS as the biggest album, uh, first week of the year so far. Um, so, and that would actually, depending on exactly how well it does, that could be his best first week ever. So I think it will, I think this will, I think that the streams are up. I mean, you look at the Spotify, uh, us chart somewhere to Uzi the week, two weeks before, um, you know, it was like 15 of the 20 track, top tracks in the country were weekend tracks. So it's uh, obviously being rapidly consumed. And I guess we, as we've elaborated on for good reason,
0: check it out again. Uh, check out our nostalgia best of 2020 playlist as well. Um, Dave, I'm going to give you the floor to talk about some TV shows that I did not watch Avenue five. Let's start there.
1: Yeah, man. So Avenue five, uh, I think a lot of people, when they saw the trailer, saw the, the talent involved, were like, Oh wow. Yeah. HBO is really kicking it off the new year. We got the outsider. We got the new Pope, you know, that's uh, what Richard price and, uh, the new a sequel, From Palo Sorrentino. Oh, and Armando Iannucci's next comedy, follow-up to Veep. How about that? This is a great start for HBO. And two of those shows are really great. We've talked about them. Please check out our reviews, youtube.com slash NostalgiaPod. However, Avenue 5 is not, 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 not good. Uh, (laughs) And that is uh, perplexing, (laughs) I think, to anyone who watched the show. I will say it gets better. Nine episodes has been renewed for season two it starts off incredibly rough and it progresses to a better point. I think as more things are revealed to the viewer and the characters get a chance to, uh, you know, fall into their roles. And I think it's important to remember veep parks and rec, a lot of comedies take a while. The office take a while to find their footing. So it's important to give comedies. I think, a longer room leash to, to, yeah, a leash to grow and the writers to figure out where they want to take the show. I would have hoped Armando Iannucci's second comedy would have started off stronger than you know, Veep, Veep did. But yeah, it's, uh, it, 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 just, it was just, it just kind of a mess, especially in the early going, which is disappointing. Because ultimately, it's, it's, it's quite high concept. It sounds great on paper. It's this uh, distant future. And Josh Gad is this you know, multi-billionaire. And his company uh, does like, space cruises, big-ass spaceships. And we'll, we'll take you to Saturn. And he'll be on a cruise in space, and then you come back to Earth, and that's the premise. Sounds cool, and then something goes wrong, and they won't get back to Earth on schedule. You know, a little little Wally action, and yeah, okay, cool. That that sounds like a good pilot. The problem is, it's just not funny, which is which is rough because for comedy, worries. that's a big problem. Yeah. Hugh Laurie's the lead. He's playing the, uh, the captain of the ship, but not exactly the most competent captain. We'll leave it at that. And Hugh Laurie, V veteran. You think, okay, cool. That should be fine. Josh Gad, a uh, talented guy playing, uh, playing the, the kind of inept billionaire. And we also have Zach Woods, who, uh, you know, obviously com- comedy show veteran at this point, who uh, is playing like the, the head of customer service, who's actually openly cynical to the guests and stuff it all sounds great but it just feels like the writing never quite got there and ultimately just wasn't like that funny still kind of easy to watch again 30 minute comedy but this leaves you wanting more i'll still check out season two given the fact that i got this far um and like i said it does get better as it goes but you know i was thinking like veep's done silicon valley's done what is like the premier h b o comedy at this time? like well, they have some comedies still, like Barry technically competes at the Emmys as a comedy. I don't really view it as that much of a comedy it's a really dark ass show it's really more of a dramedy. Than anything <laughs> you think like succession funny, but definitely a drama um, curb like leg legacy show that doesn't have a long 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 future for h b o um righteous gemstones like more Jody Hill and uh, Danny McBride, but never going to be like their their premier offering. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It feels like, it feels like they're kind of missing. Uh, when I, maybe they wanted Avenue 5 to immediately fill that void. And maybe it still can, but it, it definitely didn't through for one season.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, there's definitely a void there right now. And, you know, I think just in terms of like comedies in general, I mean, what are... What's what would say is like the best like TV comedy on right now? It's probably all animated, right? Rick and yeah, Morty. Yeah, especially
1: I mean with the Good Place ending and Mike Schur's Peacock show not out yet. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, what what that's a great question. I don't know.
0: Bojack yeah, Horseman I, also ended. Um yeah, and not really a comedy. No, exactly.
1: <laughs> so I don't know. Rick and Morty. Rick Gotta and Morty, be. Big Mouth, uh
0: maybe pen so fifteen.
1: Yeah, on who I'm trying to think. Is there any, anything on broadcast right now? Anything else on NBC? Oh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I suppose.
0: Yeah, that's actually probably it. Um, yeah.
1: certainly one of the most popular ones at this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, maybe we're going through a bit of a transition. Yeah. goodness.
0: knows? I'm sure there will be one that, that kicks up and becomes very popular soon. But Dave, tell me about this other show you were watching, My Brilliant Friend.
1: Yeah, yeah. So My Brilliant Friend... The first season came out at the end of 2018 and that actually made my 2018 top 10 on the last shows I watched that year. And this new season, season two, is titled The Story of a New Love, which is actually the name of the book, the second book in this series. It's based off of my brilliant friend, it's the name of the first book. And there's this quartet of novels, the Neapolitan novels written by Elena Ferrante, who uh, is a Italian woman, but it's a pseudonym. People, we don't know who Lena Ferrante is. She's always maintained anonymity. And it's actually kind of interesting to read about how that's happened since she first started making, uh, publishing novels in the early 90s. And, you know, like the uh, second season, this is set in the uh, early 1950s in post war Italy, uh, neighborhood outside of Naples, so towards the south. And Obviously, all in Italian, it's a co-production with HBO and uh, RAI. And it discontinues continues the journey of Lilu and Lena, these two uh, girls from this poor neighborhood, as they continue to grow and come of age. And, and the key difference is one of them was allowed to continue her schooling through middle school and onward, and the other one was not, and thus had to marry early. That's kind of where we're left off with this new season. And I always really, I really liked the, the first season and you know, just kind of just kind of went into it when I saw some praise for it, you know, back in 2018 and, you know, eight episodes uh, for both seasons. And they, I liked it because they kind of take their time with telling this, I think, honestly, really like genuine story. I think it's, again, because the adaptation It's probably why it can feel so real. But there's a lot of characters and sometimes it's kind of hard to follow who, who who is connected to who. But every, all the relationships always felt really real. And I really like that. Which I think is exciting to me about season two is that we're, we're, the settings are changing a little bit more. The first one was really based in that, like, that neighborhood they're from outside Naples. And they, they, they travel a little bit, but not really. It seems like we're gonna be, it's going to be a lot more colorful and uh, traversing more ground in the second season as both women continue to, I think, find their voice and find their identity um, as they continue to grow up. So, yeah, it's, uh, obviously you'd have to watch the first season and have any idea what the hell's going on but I think it's uh, definitely one of those under underwatch things. It already aired uh, over in Europe, but it, hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. airing now on Monday, so along with Plot Against America on HBO. So it's, uh, I think it's, it's one, of, one of those cool shows that, again, you don't get like, the true female perspective all the time. Like, you get it more now than you used to, but this is like, truly like in the head with this narration from one of the characters, and it's as you can imagine, the fact that it's set in uh, the early 1950s, not the most progressive time, gender roles so you can imagine what the subject matter is around that but yeah uh, i think the the two leads who are just cast as unknowns from the region for the first season they're actually really really talented actors so it's a it's a good show
0: more good young actors the the future is bright for sure um cool maybe i'll check that out with uh with all the time i have this corona (laughs) catch up on uh time like the present (laughs) <laughs> Avenue 5 as well. Um, but a show I am caught up on, Dave, and I believe you are as well, is The Plot Against America, the David Simon, Ed Burns directed new show on HBO miniseries yep. um, detailing the book by um, Philip Roth who um, wrote this back in 2004 detailing mm-hmm. uh, if uh, an alternate history basically where uh, Charles Lindbergh uh, beats... FDR for FDRs I believe it would have been his fourth um, at the time uh, uh, election as 1940... president
1: 1940
0: yeah been his fourth and, oh wait or third third no, term I think fourth. right he, he died in 45 so for 45.
1: yeah was he wasn't he just reelected when he died
0: oh potentially yeah, so, yeah maybe it was third yeah
1: this is his third term i think yeah um, either way 1940 Lindbergh beats him as a uh, Repo- republican candidate who's and open about uh, some things
0: xenophobia fascism um basically antisemitism. Blaming, yeah anti-semitism so uh it, it's it follows a jewish family in newark new jersey as this all is going on and uh details i think their experience um the main main lead in this or the the big name you would say is winona Ryder. but it seems like there's a lot of lesser known actors that are going to be getting a lot of shine how did you feel about the premiere which aired last monday
1: uh, Really, really enjoyed it uh I thought it was incredibly effective. I have read actually half of this book. I didn't finish it. It was assigned to me in school and my dumbass didn't actually finish it. So oh, I was actually yeah. aware, of, I was aware of this story um, going in. And when I heard that Simon was adapting it when they, you know, last year, he basically finished the deuce and went right into this, which I, you know, l- love the work ethic. Uh, I was excited about that. And I think this premiere, uh, it's six and so miniseries, so it's not really a pilot, but it, it's kind of effective at, Communicating to the viewer exactly what this show is about, how prescient it is to current times, and also exactly where it's going. And at times, it is freaking dreadful to watch. And I just uh, uh, I assume that uh, that's going to continue because it's, uh, it's not fun what happens in this, you know? It's, uh, no. But and then when you think about how, how, how the parallels to current times, it makes you feel worse. But yeah, like Simon, <laughs> once again, commenting on uh, institutional uh, decay this time with an adaptation of an alternate history set in 1940. The guy rules.
0: Yeah. And you know, this is such a classic Simon. Yeah. Uh, like first step episode. And I, th- I believe there's only six. So things are gonna get moving pretty quickly here. Um, but it feels like he just takes a lot of time to really give you a sense of place in this world. And you get to know the, the community setting uh, specifically like this neighborhood they live in yeah. this jewish community you get to know this jewish family and like the details and the inner workings and drama and he does it in such slight ways you know like the is it eli the who's his nephew who's fucking yep. up or whatever and uh he goes to talk to the the gas station attendant or the the mechanic mm-hmm. who he stole from and He's like, you know, I'm the uncle and his parents died, so I gotta do something. Like it, but like those little lines give you such insight True. into that person without having to harp and, you know, do a whole flashback to Eli with his parents and how they died. Like you you just get it. Like this kid's troubled. Uncle's trying to like help him, but really sees him as a as a fuck up and doesn't know what to do. So like it you, you kind of already know like where that's going and, and that storyline is established. You see when owner rider trying to develop a relationship and how much she's focusing on getting a man and always falling for the wrong guy and how this one guy treats her like crap. And she's kind of like, okay, this is the way things are going to be. Like, it's just over for me. And I have to like, take care of mom. Like you, you see where all these dynamics are set up and it might might not be the most exciting episode of television that you're going to watch, but it really is the masterclass and just storytelling Mm -hmm. and uh, setting up a a series or the season for, Yep. Um, everything to come so I was really impressed by it in the typical Simon way I didn't think there was anything uh, that blew me away but just a lot of like this is excellent TV making and storytelling
1: right and in the typical Simon way he usually likes to uh, use frequent collaborators for his talent Zoe Kazan of course was in the Deuce a little bit and we know a writer was in Show Me a Hero and we know David Crumholtz, also from the Deuce is coming up soon um, and John Turturro, who we saw just a little bit of. Mm. Uh, he's a rabbi who I believe becomes the token Jew for Lindbergh in the story mm-hmm. to come, I believe is where that's going to go. And, you know, I actually really like Morgan Spector, who I was not uh, familiar with. He uh, plays Zocuzan's, uh husband, you know, obviously the uncle, and uh, really, really strong presence. And you can tell that his uh, belief in american virtues and values will certainly be tested as, as as i can imagine the uh the uh the emboldening of the uh the germans down the block probably it's not going to go well From what limbrick's saying I so can imagine. You, you, again you can see you can see where it's going and you can uh, heck it's funny there are lines that immediately brought me back to current times yet nothing ever felt forced or heavy handed because at the end of the day, you know, it's an adaptation and there are lots of scenes and even lines that are really just taken right from the Phil Broth book. And again, that book was written in 2004. So, you know, any, any, any charges of this being, you know, I think heavy handed are just, I just kind of foolish. It just happens to be a connection you can make. And in this case, uh, the quote that stood out to me when they're hanging out outside, uh, complete ranting about Lindbergh's speech in the pilot the first episode, that quote of every, uh, uh, someone's like, well, uh, people think he doesn't mean uh, what he says. Everyone's going to say that. It's like, wow, heard that before. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Also, shout out like the whole like dead neighborhood vibe of the 40s. Yeah. You know? Everyone hangs outside on the porch talking and smoking and drinking. You, l- you listen shout to your the great radio. The generation.
0: Yeah. Listen to your radio, go outside and talk about it. <laughs> uh, I also thought, and this is such like a little touch, but like the conversation between the uh, the uncle and the son about like who was pitching for the Yankees that day or whatever, right? Yeah, felt so like natural and forced, and like uh, or, or and not forced at all. I mean, so I yeah. was like, huh, like uh, just really well done writing, storytelling, acting. Mm-hmm. It's what you come to expect from Simon.
1: So, did you uh, recognize the youngest son? Who that actor was? No, I I didn't recognize him. I, but I recognize his name in the opening credits. That's I know it's uh, a Robertson. He played the, the, the little kid in marriage story. Oh yeah.
0: That's funny. Ho- hopefully yeah. he'll be less annoying than in marriage story.
1: So. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, I don't know if he feels like he might be, uh, uh, affected, fa- affected by the, by the upcoming trauma. We'll see.
0: Um, any last thoughts on the plot against America, Dave,
1: David Simon show. It's good. <laughs>
0: Surprise! um what what should the people be watching for next week
1: yeah so next week is interesting no new television to speak of except for ozark season three i think we don't watch ozark but popular show i mean shout I out jason like bateman yeah shout out bateman shout out julia garner um so that's that'll be coming out i'm sure that'll coming out a, a great time for a lot of people so that, that's cool um other than that though it's just a lot of music man pearl jam party next door wax little dragon hell
0: yeah
1: and then rap as well joiner lucas and comethazine <laughs> i'm sure someone else will drop too either way <laughs> that's what that's uh that's six six projects that's a lot so we'll talk about most of those just because there doesn't Nothing seem to be to... any uh, upcoming uh film releases we, we we passed on the banker so yeah so yeah I'm sure something else might come, but that's what we got right now.
0: Something else will certainly come. And stay tuned for that by subscribing to NostalgiaPod, SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod, YouTube.com slash NostalgiaPod, and on Twitter at NostalgiaPod. Uh, we appreciate you, and we'll see you next week. Stay safe out there.